Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Classic Lenses podcast. My name is Simon Forster and I'm hosting this podcast from Stoke-on-Trent in the UK. Joining me today are Carl Havens in Gainesville, Florida. Hello, Carl. Carl? Carl. Where are you, Carl? Okay, well, at least uh, you're here, Johnny, uh, in Chicago. Um, I don't know about you, but I think we should have a co-host. Um yeah, good idea. Um, you know, it's funny. I was just checking the chats from previous episodes, and it seems that um, Aman has been uh, has been on the chat since episode five. Maybe he thought we were coming back, and I guess we are coming back because Aman is going to join us. I believe today. It's like the Hotel California or something. Once you're in the podcast, you never you can you can never leave. So, so that that's kind of handy. Okay, so join us today. We have Iman from Athens in Greece. Hello, Iman. Hello. Glad to be here with you again. Hello. It's like you never left. <laughs> um, this week we're going to do a something of a frequently asked questions podcast, and Imon is going to fill in for Carl, who can't be with us this week. He's away on business, uh, but he'll be back with us next week. Uh, but before we do that, here's some feedback from Johnny from last week. Ah, yes, indeed. We have loads of feedback from episode 17, which was the uh, the Vlad extravaganza uh, talking about Soviet gear, Soviet lenses, Soviet cameras, <clears throat> everything, everything Soviet. Uh, so, yes, we have quite a bit from that. And I'm going to read through a few of the more entertaining comments and a few questions and so forth. Uh, <laughs> Phil Images by Phil congratulated Vlad on his interrogation. Um, he says he broke too quickly under pressure, of course, though. Uh, so, but we're glad he did. We got, we got some really great, uh, information from Vlad. Um, Eric Kosluis, uh, mentioned that in his comments, he had, he had some really good feedback about different, uh, Soviet lenses. He is sort of a, uh, LTM lens master, I would say, uh, rangefinder lens master. So he has a lot of good information in his comments about, um, different, Russian lenses that he has adapted, which I found really helpful looking through there. Um, let's see, Thang, Lu- Thang Luan, and I'm sure I murdered that name. I'm very sorry, but said he listened to the podcast uh, three times, which we, uh, of course, appreciate. Uh, thanks for your dedication there. Uh, Boris Von, 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 oh boy, this is really, <laughs> boy, I thought I'd bet on last name. Boris Von Yunman. Bond man? I'm not sure. Anyway, he commented on Vlad's uh, page about the Sallow story, which is the bacon story, um, which was also a big hit over in the vintage camera uh, collectors community. I think the only comments that <laughs> showed up when we posted there were about bacon. So, um, you know, maybe next April 1st, Vlad and the crew can do vintage pork collectors or something. I'm, I'm not sure might be a good thing to do. And then uh, Lucas uh, Frazzi, who uh, goes by Do Right Fear Not on Instagram, uh, also commented on the Bacon story and had some good comments on uh, the podcast overall. He mentioned that over on Simon's Instagram. And I wanted to also mention uh, that Vlad had a clarification that I'm going to read out. I was thinking about trying this in an accent, but I, it, you know, trying to do my best Vlad accent, but it's just not going to work. I'll screw it up, and I'll start do I'll start doing like Vlad, and I'll end up doing like Australian. So I'm not even going to try it. Um, 
but Vlad wanted to clarify about the CCCP mark on Soviet equipment that that uh, Simon you had question about, and here's here's Vlad's statement to clarify the CCCP question. I misunderstood what Simon was asking. He was referring to the quality sign mark on cameras, usually a red stamp with five ended stylized star inside a pentagram in the abbreviation CCCP, which is pronounced SSSR. Um, this is a standard mark introduced in 1967, applied to any equipment, uh, any production in USSR that passed additional quality inspection. Uh, even though it means something for about 10 years towards the end of the 1970s, they started putting it on practically anything, so it lost its meaning. Uh, I would have to say, if you find something with this quality mark from the late 60s and 70s, it may still mean higher quality products. So there's a quote from Vlad about the CCCP slash SSSR mark that you will find and sometimes see on Soviet equipment. Um, and let's see, also in comments, uh, Vlad followed up in his comments about uh in the podcast about um with a really good link about glass cooking uh we had a bunch of commentary about that which i thought was very interesting and he he posted a link that you might want to follow and i think you'll have to run through like google translate but good information there um so i was also oh oh simon do we want to take the questions from Jim James Thorpe at this point, or are we going to do that later? I think I think we should do it later. Um, okay, but uh, it's certainly worth mentioning that we actually have had correspondence with the outside world. Yeah, yeah. Uh, James James Thorpe sent us not one but two questions at uh, Classic Lenses Podcast at Gmail dot com, and he he's the first. So I I don't know if we have some sort of door prize we can offer. <laughs> James, but well, I guess this is it. He's going to get his question read live in the podcast. So um, thank you for the questions, Mr. James Thorpe. And we will be coming back to that as we get into questions in the Q&A here session that we're going to do today. So thank you so much for contacting us via email. Thanks for that. Um, now, as we mentioned earlier, and as you heard earlier, uh, we have Imon with us, still here from episode five. Episode five, of, uh, by the sound of it, was uh, one of our early episodes when we were still trying to work out what we were doing, and nothing's really changed there, really. Um, if we cast our minds back to that one, it was actually about the Helios 44 and many, many of its variants. And Imon uh, was with us uh, in particular because of his expertise on the Helios 44, and the um, and he's pretty much responsible for popularising the the Helios 44-3 uh, in the group. I mean, there've there've been many posts about it in the past, but it, Imon's uh, uh, appearance caused a bit of a frenzy um, about buying uh, that that lens, and lots of us did. We all went out and bought one, and uh, to a degree, we were all slightly disappointed at first until we actually learned how to, how to use it and it wasn't really until Vlad's appearance last week where the 44.3 became incredibly cool again when when Vlad told us that it's effectively an illegal lens so not only is it probably the best of the 44s it's uh, also illegal too so it, what more could you want Imon's with us again today and when he was with us last time he only pretty much got halfway through his introduction of himself before we took him off the subject and uh, talked about Helios lenses so um 
Iman, it's great to have you back again. And uh, this is an opportunity to, opportunity to finish off and tell us a little bit more about yourself. Thank you, Simon. Uh, I was uh, indeed uh, so stressed uh, during the previous podcast that I totally forgot to mention anything about uh, my involvement my involvement with uh, photography, uh, which uh, actually starts when I was a little kid and my father gave me a cool little camera, an Acfomatic uh, 300, which I still own, but I can't shoot anymore with it as I can't find any film for it. During the 80s, uh, I had the opportunity to use a Minolta SLR the XD7, which was uh, a really well-made uh, camera body. It was uh, the last uh, camera that was made uh, full of uh, metal. Uh, Minolta with uh, its uh, next model uh, switched uh, to plastic. It was the X700. And uh, later in the 90s, uh, I had the X370S, uh, Chinese-made Minolta, that was my main camera till 2008. Uh, uh, it, by that time, I first tried the digital SLR. Uh, so I moved from uh, a fully manual uh, SLR to a digital one, and it was a, a really frustrating experience. I mean, uh, I had a camera that I couldn't control. Uh, anything I did, it was wrong. Uh, and it took me about four years. Uh, and the newer body, the Olympus E520, uh, to start shooting again uh, after doing some reading about how to use it. So, uh, having access to some uh, lenses from this system, the four-thirds system that my father used to own, uh, I decided to upgrade to a mirrorless body about a year later. It wasn't a deliberate decision to buy a mirrorless body, but it was just a coincidence. And uh, with a little help from uh, the social media, I was again into photography and uh, everyday shooting. So by that time, I was already a member of the OMD Worldwide Shooter Space. And uh, one day, I saw a post from uh, Thomas Water, a beautiful picture taken with uh, EM5 and uh, an old uh, Minolta lens. So far, I hadn't realized that I could uh, use my old glass uh, with uh, my new digital camera. So next thing uh, uh, was uh, asking Thomas, uh, how did you do it? And uh, I received a really helpful answer explaining all the potentials of a mirrorless uh, digital body. So I ordered an adapter uh, for my Minolta glass, uh, including the MC Rocker 58 1.2. And the new photographic experience was starting by that time, combining all the benefits of manual shooting and uh, a digital uh, sensor. 
that was uh, 2014. By that time, Carl uh, had uh, already created the group. And uh, it took me some time to join it, not because I didn't, I didn't uh, want to, but because uh, I simply couldn't. The search engine of uh, Facebook uh, obviously didn't work as it should. And uh, I managed to join the group when another member of the IMT page uh, experienced uh, the same problem. And Carl posted a direct a direct link to the photography with classic lenses group. So that is how the story begins, and uh, I think you'll know what uh, has happened during these four years. Uh, one of the first uh, lenses that uh, I ordered from eBay was uh, uh, a mere one uh, silver uh, version uh, Grand Prix bristles uh, lens. Uh, I was really uh, excited uh, when I received this uh, lens. Uh, it was a, a, a pristine copy. So the next thing I did was uh, trying to adapt it using my M39. Micro four third adapter, and uh, the only thing I could get was uh, blurred uh, images. Uh, seller had uh, no clue what was going on. He couldn't help me, and uh, I remembered something. I think uh, Derek uh, had written once in our group uh, that uh, I I actually hadn't understood when I first read it. Uh, I took off the M39 adapter and uh, used my M42 adapter, did some uh, freelancing, uh, tried to shoot, and uh, yes, I had uh, some focused uh, shots. Uh, so, I don't know, Johnny, if you want to explain what had happened to my lens and why I couldn't uh, uh, focus anything with the M39 adapter I had. I think Johnny's gone to sleep, or he's forgotten he's on mute. Uh, but uh, in the in the absence of uh, of, of Johnny, um, he may have just walked away somewhere. I'm I'm more than happy to uh, talk talk about that. And it's, sorry about that, guys. <laughs> no, no it's, it's, <laughs> I was on mute and I ran off to the restroom really quick because I've been like pounding coffee. So I could wake up here this morning. <laughs> well, chances are you didn't hear the question, so I'll uh, I'll I'll take it on. And, uh, and it's uh, this is this is effectively question one of uh, our FAQs, our frequently asked uh, questions, and it's something we touched upon last week as well uh, with with Vlad, but we we sort of got sidetracked, so we didn't really finish that one off. Um, but the mere uh, the mere lens, uh, especially the older uh, mere lenses, the silver ones. Um, although with these things, that's that's not a hard and fast rule. Just because your lenses, the mere lens is silver, doesn't necessarily mean it's uh, as a thirty nine mil thread. It may well have a forty two. And in the same way, if you have a a black one, uh, painted one, that doesn't necessarily mean it won't have a thirty nine millimeter thread. Because uh, I've actually got one from nineteen eighty five, uh, which long after I thought they would have stopped producing them um, but uh, but actually that was a point I'm not sure if we talked about this in the 
uh, podcast with Vlad, but Vlad told me that that particular uh, late model one might have been for the start system, and then you would use an adapter mm-hmm. uh, to put it onto that to uh, enable it to work work with the start. Because it was it was puzzled me a little bit why they would still make a thirty nine thread because the thirty nine thread on the early ones uh, again uh, going back to uh, Vlad's episode. That was when the first Zenit cameras, uh, which were um, either Zorkies or, or Feds, can't quite remember which, but they were effectively Leica, Leica bodies, uh, then extended to have a mirror box put in them. And they, and they kept the 39mm thread pitch, um, but uh, produced a lens that was that needed to be further away uh, from the focal plane to actually focus properly. And this is, and this in itself is what the, what the problem was um, because Imon thought that he had bought effectively a Leica lens, a Leica thread mount lens, um, whereas he had a lens that needed to be further away um, from, from the sensor uh, when, he, when he adapted it. Now, there's a few ways of dealing with this. Um, you can, and I'm pretty sure that the way that uh, Imon would have done it, I'm guessing, is uh, with just a simple 39mm to 42mm um, ring. Would that be true? Exactly. Yeah. And the, the issue with that is it, it works to a degree, um, but... Uh, and this this is where things get a, a little bit confusing and and sort of, or maybe confusing to some. Um, and there's a lot of um, misinformation out there. And I've got to say, it was some one of the things that I used to believe to be the case that you could just simply put that ring on and it would then work and there'd be no problems. And uh, lots of people say, well, I can reach infinity with just putting the ring on. Um, but actually, if you tried to actually reach infinity and had the lens wide open, then you'll find that the lens would not uh, reach infinity, assuming that the, the adapter that you're using is correctly calibrated, because the distance that the 39mm lenses, uh, or these Zenit M39 lenses would need to be, it, uh, are set to is slightly different than M42. Uh, M42 has got uh, a flange distance, uh, the distance from the flange to the focal plane of 45.46 millimetres, uh, whereas the Zenit uh, M39 or ZM39 uses 45.2 millimetres. That's 45.2 versus 45.46. It doesn't sound much, but that 0.26 millimetre difference makes all the difference in terms of actually uh, whether you actually get infinity or not. Um, so. The other way to actually get infinity with what well, actually no, there's two ways of getting the true infinity. One, uh, you can you can open the lens up and uh, adjust the shims inside the lens and uh, swap them out so the um, the optical block sits at the correct distance to the uh, to the rest of the lens where the helicoid is. Um, alternatively, and this is the one that I do, uh, is use uh, some some kind of setup with a focusing helicoid. Again, I'll use the 39 to 42 step up, step up ring, but put it into a focusing helicoid, which we've talked about in the past before, um, and we'll probably come on to that again. Um, and by using that that combination, you can actually very finely adjust the the distance of the of the lens, and and therefore put the lens bang on infinity with the lens being infinity, and it also gives you uh, a the ability to massively decrease or depending on the lens uh, decrease the minimum focus distance as well so that's how you get around that one um so m39 uh 
it really M thirty nine is is really referring to the the size and and the thread pitch itself rather than what kind of camera system that it goes on to. Um, there are several M thirty nine systems out there. The most famous one and the one that uh, tripped up uh, Imon is the Leica, uh, the Leica thread mount, LTM39, the Leica thread mount. And uh, so that's that's the best known one and that's for rangefinder lenses. Um, and then there are, but there are other ones. Uh, you've got uh, the Braun Paxette. Uh, they they look very very similar to to LTM thirty nine lenses, but as soon as you put them on, they don't fit. And I think the um, I don't think you can actually buy an adapter for uh, for Braun Pack set, but that's another lens that you can get around the the focusing issue with just a simple focusing helicoid. Um, and the type I recommend on that is you is is have a a thin or slim. M4, M39 adapter to whatever the system that you're putting it on. By the way, as with all rangefinder lenses, you you have to have a mirrorless system. You cannot you cannot adapt a rangefinder lens to a DSLR. So when we're talking about Leica lenses, um, you've you've got no choice. You, if you want to use it on a on a modern camera, you, you've got to go mirrorless. Um, so uh, to use a focusing helicoid of the type I'm describing, you would need a slim uh, M39 sorry m42 uh to whatever the system is so let's say uh, fuji so it'll be m39 to fx but you need the slim one and then you use an m42 to m42 adapter to slot into that uh, typically um, the 17 to 31 or there or thereabouts uh, 17 to 17 to 31 millimeter uh focusing helicoid is is one that most of us use and then you would then put your 39 millimeter to 42 millimeter step ring onto the lens and screw that into the focusing helicoid and then you've got a, a very very adjustable lens so you can you can put your uh, like lens actually no you probably i'm not sure if you can put a like lens on but you can certainly put a brawn pack set lens on and you can certainly put a zenith uh, 39 lens johnny perhaps you might want to talk to us about enlarger lenses uh, yeah, another another good example uh, of the difference between LTM and M39 uh, is definitely a larger lenses, which they have a 39 millimeter thread on them, uh, but they have nothing at all to do with any registration distance, you know, for a camera such as a rangefinder camera. So um, they're going to have a completely different register distance that corresponds with uh, basically the distance uh, from the enlarger to the you know the the paper the photographic paper you'd have on an on a enlarger board to make a print um, which has to do with the basically the um, the film size that you're reproducing on the enlarger so all bets are off <laughs> without making that more complicated all bets are off when it comes to enlarger lenses um, and for those, you're definitely going to need either a helicoid or you're going to need a, uh, a bellows unit to get the uh, correct focus distance if you want to use that lens, um, you know, at infinity or, or anything like that. So, um, yeah, and larger lenses are, are definitely uh, can be confusing because they just they really don't correspond to anything. And you really don't know the working distance until you do a little bit of experimentation with them. I think it's well worth playing with enlarger lenses and have a quick quick um, talk about them because um, they're they're well worth experimenting with. Um, some work better than others, but generally speaking, enlarger lenses are they are 
very very sharp and they're cheap um, yeah it's yeah. it's almost like an entry entry level into uh, you know adapting lenses for as long as you have the ability to focus them and and there is another way to focus them without uh, a helicoid system and you can but you would need to use a, a combination of adapt not adapters um extension extension tubes right um, so right. you would uh, find a way to um put m uh, m42 extension tubes or m39 extension tubes which as you, as ever, the, one of the best ways to do it was with the kind of adapter I was talking about earlier, one of those slim um, M42 or M39 uh, adapters. Um, so you, And then you then screw in some very, very inexpensive uh, extension rings. They can be bought off eBay very, very cheaply. And and I think the, the tip there is to buy buy quite a few of them and buy, buy them with different, uh, different depths. Um, so you can so you can set something with uh, uh, put an extra three millimeters onto something or five millimeters onto something rather than uh, ten or ten or twenty or twenty five or something like that, uh, because then what you can do you can you can set those up and work out where that focus point is. And then you then move back and forth to actually uh, get your focus point. That's probably is more useful if you're doing macro than it will be if you're actually trying to do something in the big wide world. Yep. Um, and a, a good trick for enlarger lenses, if you want to try to get a sense of the working distance, um, is that if you hold an enlarger lens under a light source, so just any overhead light, um, and just literally move it up and down, like let's say you've got an overhead light, you've got a, you know, a table, a flat surface with a sheet of white paper on it. Um, as you move that lens up and down, you will see the light whatever the light source is, let's say it's a, a string of LEDs or something, you'll see that uh, become sharper, the image of the light. And that'll give you an idea on the working distance, which you can actually measure. So you can hold a, you know, hold a ruler next to the lens and kind of get an idea of how much extension you're going to need. Um, and then you can build either an extension, you know, series of extension tubes or whatnot to give you that working distance. But that'll often give you a clue as to how far that lens is going to need to be from your sensor plane on your camera. I've, I've just had a, I've, I've literally got an enlarger lens in front of me now and my LED from, uh, yeah. from my phone. <laughs> and I, I'm not too sure how well that works because um, it, it also depends on the distance from you, uh, the light source away from, from, the, from the lens. So if you have your lens, if, if the light source is say uh, 10, 10 centimeters away uh, from, from the lens, then that will affect how it, it, the, the focus point lower down. It, equally, if you if you move one or the other, you can actually get the image to be sharp with yeah. different with different you, amounts. So uh, you need to, you need to have an overhead light that's probably like on the ceiling. It'll work and it'll give you the the, the distance. If you hold something right, but because I mean, if you think about it, what you've got is it would be focusing in a, a light source up above that enlarger that's going to give you the the working distance. So it'll it'll need to be some sort of over you know overhead light that's going to. Hmm. Work better than something very close to the back of the lens, for sure. The other, the other thing about enlarged lenses, working out the distance, is if, uh, well, thirty-five millimeter enlarging lenses for thirty-five, well, enlarger lenses for thirty-five millimeter film of, I, I think this is always the case. Actually, is uh, fifty millimeters. So I think that's, I think that's the case. Um, whereas uh, you'll see some with seventy-five millimeters or or going up into the hundreds, and the the larger the format, the film, the longer the focal length is right. going to be. And mm -hmm. and it also works that a if you may set up a 
um, a 50 millimeter enlarger lens, but when you actually want to then use a 75 millimeter enlarger lens, you will have to add more extension tubes onto it to for the extra yeah. focal length. Absolutely. Yeah. So, what is the case about the Indostar 69 lens? I, mean, oh, I can't yeah. make it work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a good say. In this in the Star 69 um is a uh a lens that it comes from a specific camera. Uh it comes from a half frame uh Soviet camera uh uh, uh the Chakya camera which I'm not sure how to pronounce it correctly. If we had Vlad here, he would of course be able to do that. But it basically means Seagull is the name of the camera in English. Um but that that lens has a m39 uh thread on it but the register distance doesn't correspond to anything else in the in the universe it doesn't correspond to any other camera or anything because this being a half frame camera the register distance is something like i want to say it's like 27.5 millimeters or something like that so it doesn't correspond to ltm it doesn't correspond to any it doesn't correspond to uh, to, to Zen it, it doesn't correspond to anything. So, but it's a great lens and it will work great once the, uh, the, the register distance is adjusted, which you do by, well, there's a, a few different ways to do it, which if you, you know, look that lens up online, you'll see them. Um, yeah, but sometimes, sometimes depending on the camera that you have, it's going to, it's definitely going to require modification before it will focus to infinity. Um, I would say definitely worth the effort. That's one of my favorite, uh, favorite lenses period to to adapt uh, but it doesn't correspond to anything and there's a lot of variation from lens to lens also um, so it will definitely need to be adjusted to work properly on whatever camera you're going to use it on i've i've used it on my you know fuji i've actually used it on um my Vesa l uh 35 millimeter film camera. It does vignette on that camera, but it has a, a really nice effect in some cases. Um, so that's a, definitely a special case M39 lens that's going to need to be adjusted to work on any other camera you want to put it on, film or digital. Right. I think we'll move on to the two questions we've had by email, Johnny. Yeah. Uh, so we had uh, two questions from Mr. James Thorpe. Uh, who contacted us via the email address again, which is uh, classiclensespodcast at gmail.com. So he had uh, two questions. I'm actually going to take the second question first. Um, he says, I shoot primarily film these days and wonder which Facebook group I should be po posting to. Um, in other words, should I be posting to uh, photography with classic lenses or to adventures in film photography? As many of you may know, that's our kind of sister group that's more uh, dedicated to film photography uh, with classic lenses specifically. Um, and I, 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 I'm much the same. I rarely shoot anything digital these days. So, um, you know, you, I would say post to either group you want or both really James um, it's, it's fine to, to, to do that. You're going to probably have a more focused conversation, you know, specifically about film within the adventures in film photography group. But, you know, I, I post film stuff fairly regularly to, um, the photography of the classic lenses group too. So you can post either location that you choose would be great. Um, and then we're going to go over to, uh, the first question, um, which was, uh, from James, um, on another topic, I have fallen deeply in love with the Bronica six by six system. And he's well, wondering, 
if there are tilt shift adapters uh, or a tilt shift capability for that system. Um, Simon, I've never come across one. Have you have you seen anything for that? A tilt shift adapter or or capability for Bronica? No, in 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 a, in a word, um, yeah. Uh, and and I think the 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 issue there is if uh, I, I did I've had a look and I couldn't see any reference to any specific uh, tilt lens on the uh, the six by six system, um, yeah. And and it's and you can't put uh, an additional adapter onto a lens without altering the flange distance of the lens, yeah, which is a little bit right. what we were talking about with uh, with M39s there. Um, so if if there was a something you could put onto the front of the, of the Bronica and then put the lens in, in front of that uh, to give you the tilt, well, it would only give you a, a, a macro tilt system because it pushes the lens further away from the, from the focal plane. Um, so, yeah, and... Unless somebody else listening knows otherwise, uh, I'm I'm pretty sure that you can't tilt unless somebody's done something, uh, um, some kind of DIY system. Yeah, but that, I, I still right. struggle with that because you've you've got to you've got to deal with the mount of the lens and and keep all of that that DIY stuff within the flange distance, haven't you? So that, yeah, that would for be sure. chopping into I, the actual camera, wouldn't it? Yeah, you know exactly, and I it's kind of a kind of a good point as we're talking about uh, lens adapting. Just generally, is that a, a lot of the conversation we're having just sort of assumes, you know, we're talking about digital and probably primarily mirrorless at that because it's so easy to see the point of focus directly in the viewfinder, right? I mean, you can take pretty much any lens and just tune it in to the whatever focus point you want. Um, on a mirrorless system because you can see it right there on the viewfinder or on the screen. Um, harder to do on a DSLR and really hard to do on film because you're, you know, you're counting on just uh, viewing off the the reflex mirror. Or in the case of a rangefinder system, you, there's no way to see it. So <laughs> all of the adapter stuff for um, you know f- different film system lenses on different film system bodies is way more complicated uh and and i I would even say like you know the old school film shooter guys really kind of still look down their nose at any lenses being adapted period even on digital cameras because it was just sort of a no-go back in the day without a really precisely machined adapter where everything you know you're talking about thousandths of an inch um, in order to actually get correct focus. So yeah, it, that, uh, anything tilt shift is going to be very DIY on any medium format system for the most part. No, not any, there, there definitely were some, but on the Bronica anyhow. Yeah. The other, the, on the, on the upside, there are, you could, you, you can use those lenses on a, uh, a smaller format system and, yeah. and use a, a tilt shift adapter, by adapting mm-hmm. to whatever um, system the adapter is built for, um, which you can certainly get M42 uh, tilt adapters. Sure. Um, so, and it's it it will be possible via uh, several combinations of adapters to go from from a Bronica lens down to M42, and then and therefore onto uh, onto one of those adapters. That's that's going to be possible. It's not going to be necessarily easy. Um, it'll probably be easier if there's a if there's a tilt adapter, say for for Nikon, maybe. Um, because you can, it's. I think it's. It's not too difficult to to go to yeah. Nikon, and then mm-hmm. if you so, if you can find a Nikon to, 
Sony Fuji Micro Four Thirds uh, with a tilt uh, on the adapter itself. I don't know if one exists, but you could certainly do it that way. And you've also got the advantage of you've got a larger piece of glass, uh, which means that at the extreme edges of the of the of the tilt, you're still using um, mm-hmm. some good a good area of the. Uh, probably the best part of the lens of the of, of the Bronica rod and uh, going towards the edges where you're effectively introducing uh, more more softness, which is what you tend to get uh, with certainly with the shift uh, the 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 tilt uh, or the shift lenses, I should say that um, I've used from uh, Nikon and uh, Olympus and Pentax. Yeah, absolutely, right. Okay, um, let's move on to uh, our next question now. And we're going to come back to Imon um, because we want to have a talk about lenses which have the same optics, but they appear in multiple brands. Um, So perhaps you want to tell us a bit more about that, Imon. Well, uh, when I raised the specific topic about uh, Tomioka-made lenses under uh, different brand names, uh, I didn't know that I would be part of uh, this uh, podcast. Uh, So I will first mention uh, some lenses that uh, most of our members are uh, aware of. Uh, For example, uh, nowadays most people know that uh, the practical PB mount uh, 35mm 2.4 lens or the 20mm 2.8 are uh, exact, exact copies of uh, the Flectogon lenses. Uh, another example are Vivitar uh, lenses and uh, the fact that the serial numbers of uh, a Vivitar lens uh, indicate the factory that it was uh, produced uh, makes uh, our life uh, quite easier. So, uh, in case you are after a Tokina, Bokina macro 90mm f2.5 lens, uh, you can always uh, buy the Vivitar uh, lens that uh, it was uh, uh, manufactured at the Tokina factory and uh, the serial number starts with uh, 37. Uh, This is a a fantastic macro lens with uh, creamy bokeh. Uh, one to two macro, not uh, one to one. You need a dedicated uh, uh, macro adapter that comes with uh, the lens, and uh, it's not uh, an extension ring, it has glass in it. Uh, or there is another uh, fantastic macro that is one to one macro lens. Uh, uh, it's uh, the Kiron uh, 105. Uh, F2.8 Kino Precision Lens. Uh, This lens uh, can be found also as uh, Vivitar Series 1 105 uh, or uh, Lester Adine macro lens. And uh, similar optical design is the Ricoh Rikenon 105 2.8 lens. Uh, as a Minolta fanboy, I have to mention <laughs> <laughs> the 35, uh, 35 constant uh, zoom, MT zoom lens, which is a, 
was constructed by Minolta and uh, you can find it also as a Leica lens. There is another Leica lens that you can find uh, cheap enough and <coughs> it's a projector lens. It's the color, color plan 90mm f2.5 which is uh, exactly the same lens as the original uh, 90mm f2.8 Leica lens, Leica R. I think it's a Schumerite, uh, this uh, lens. And uh, regarding my question, which, question which was uh, hidden uh, gems under several brand names made by Tomioka, I have no clue how can I can distinguish them. I mean, uh, an f1.2 lens will always be uh, overpriced regardless of uh, the brand or the factory that made it but I think that you can still find uh, some uh, bargain price uh, lenses uh, 55 millimeter 1.4 that uh, were made by Tomioka and uh, they simply don't write it uh, on it uh, I don't know, Simon, can you say something about it? Can you help me a little bit? Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, ab ab absolutely. Um, and, and just as a just as a quick point, so we, we lost um, part of your audio uh, when you were uh, telling us about which that Minolta lens was, um, and that was a 35 to 73.5 lens. Um, just if uh, people didn't didn't quite catch that, but um, just on on the subject of that particular lens, before I come back to Tommy Oka, um, there are various versions of this. And I think we actually covered this off with Pear um, in one of the two uh, Minolta specials that we did. Um, but do, do you know which which version it is, um, or whether that doesn't really make any any difference? Mm, I, I'm not sure. Uh, that's, that's that's okay. Um, so I have uh, the macro version. It's it's a really nice lens, and it has a fantastic uh, color uh, edition. But uh, I don't know which is the exact copy that uh, Leica used. Uh, probably the first one. I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, I think the the main thing there is uh, Perry Edmund, um who uh, was on. I'm not sure if he was ten and eleven. Uh, but certainly, uh, if you go back, we did a couple of episodes on Minolta. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, he, he certainly went into the subject of that. So uh, if there's any doubt over that one, just head head back over to the one of those two episodes. Listen to them both anyway. Um, and, uh, and you'll find out a bit more about that lens. Um, now, with the Tomioka, um, that's, a, that's a name that, um, uh, it crops up in, increasingly on on eBay these days um, to accompany a, a lens, and, and it's it's quite rare to actually see a a, a lens that actually says Tomioka on it, um, because Tomioka was a a company in in Japan. Uh, I say was. I don't think they're still going. Certainly not in the same format as they used to be, at least anyway. Um, and they. They used to produce lenses uh, for other people. Um, in particular, this this fifty five one point four. Um, that's that's a lens that can be seen under several uh, different guises. Um, the ones I can this I've got a list off the top of my head that I produced here, and you've got Ricoh, Sears, Shinon or Chinon, uh, Petri, Porst, and Miranda. Um, 
Now, when I say Miranda, I'm not entirely sure if Miranda actually made uh, with an earlier one, whether they made one uh, with their own design or conjunction with somebody else. But certainly the late, the later Mirandas uh, were certainly um, uh, Tommy Oka lenses. And there's, there's one thing that links. Oh, I just remembered one. Cosinon, Cosina. Uh, yeah, the, there's a, uh, so I had one of those as well. So uh, there's, there's another one to throw into the mix. And the, the one thing that ties these lenses together, oh, and I thought of another one now. Uh, there's uh, Mamaya. Um, but Mamaya had two versions of the 55 1.4. Uh, one of them was the SX and the other one was unbranded, or it, rather it didn't say SX on it. And uh, the one that does not say SX, I, I firmly believe is yet another Tomioka lens. And the, the thing that ties all these lenses together is the flat rear element. Uh, because that's relatively unusual on lenses. There are a few lenses out there that, that have a flat rear element, uh, of these 55 1.4s or that that nature. But generally speaking, um, all of these, these, these brands, they all appear to have exactly the same lens in the internals, although the bodies of these lenses can, can vary quite significantly. I mean, the, the Petri will look nothing like the, uh, the Cosinon. Uh, for for instance, but they all have these 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 flat uh, rear elements. I did spend some time a couple of years ago uh, doing a fair bit of research on on this, and you can just go around in circles, and there's so much information out there on the inf internet. Some of which is is going to be reliable, some of it isn't, um, and it's very difficult to work out which is which. Um, but I certainly came to the conclusion that Tomioka was a company that worked very very closely um, with a lot of the other smaller uh, Japanese. Japanese optical companies and there was a there was a great deal of sharing of parts uh, between between them and there were times where uh, one of these companies will make make lenses for each other so it, that that muddies the waters ev even more um, so uh, uh, but the but again that was actually part of the um, the nature of the of the business back in the we're talking about like the the sixties now I guess, um, and the Japanese government were um, certainly encouraged um, uh, manufacturers to work together, um, probably for the for the national good at the, at the time to help build up that uh, that optical industry. Uh, yeah, a little bit of uh, Tomioka trivia or history, I guess. Um... Uh, they they actually became part of uh, Yashica, which is really uh, part of Kyocera. <laughs> so ah, yeah, 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 yeah. And actually, the the Tomioka plant apparently is um, where Carl Zeiss lenses are made in Japan under license. So um, so yeah, very they're a, a great lens builder. All the old Yashica TLRs actually have Tomioka lenses in them, um, and they actually you will see Tomioka lenses. Um, branded you will see that name on lenses that were made for uh some of the polaroid cameras like some of the polaroid macro cameras and even like the uh uh some of the higher end uh pack film cameras you'll see that name on them so yeah uh, as soon as you said yashika I, I, that's 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 another one uh with the uh the the yashinon yeah yashinon uh, right yeah. um it's that's news to me about saying that that's effectively the the plant uh, that Casina um are making uh the the Zeiss lenses that's 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 
Am I am I reading that correctly? What you just said there, effectively? Uh, sort of, I guess, because the the I, well, it's the the factory where the Carl Zeiss lenses with the Carl Zeiss name on them are being made. Apparently, uh, Carl Zeiss Japan, if you want to call it that, um, that's apparently where those are produced. So, right. But, but the other thing that I've, I'm not 100 percent sure about is the the I've, I thought that the the Tom the region that. Uh, where Tomioka was was also uh, the uh, near to the Fukushima nuclear plant. Um, mm. So perhaps I'm, I'm sure there's a connection there, but perhaps the uh, uh, the businesses that that were there had already moved away long ago uh, in, into uh, into different places. Especially when you're talking about Casina, and I was and I mentioned Casina, and Casina weren't Tomioka, but. Yeah, you've, you've got this. You've got this very, very close link, and of course, this happens with a lot of things. With with certainly with cameras, and it happened with cars, where there were lots of makers, and they all amalgamated. Uh, in, in you know, somebody would buy another, and some names would die, and and so on and so on. So it, it, I can I can see how you could you could end up at Carl's Ice um, from from Tommy. <laughs> right. It would not surprise me at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we've got any more uh, dual branded. Um, lenses out there, but the good. I think the point of actually this this part this conversation is that sometimes you can actually find uh, some relatively uh, ch- cheaper versions of exactly the this the same lens. Um, certainly, that's certainly the case with the uh, Takina ninety millimeter two point five, which sells for a lot of money. And generally speaking, the Vivitar, um, which is identically, it's a, it's an identical lens, and you can usually buy that lens for for, for less. So if you if you don't mind the name that's actually on on the lens, and you just want to use the optics, then that's a it's a, it's a great way to do it. The same goes with the Practica lenses. They use the Practica bayonet or PB mount, and they're for all intents and purposes, they are the same lens as the M forty two lenses, and without the Pancolor name or the Flectagon name, and in, certainly in the case of the uh, of my uh, Flectagon, which isn't a Flectagon because it's a it's a Practicar thirty five two point four, but my my version, which is the Practicar version, is the best version of a Flectagon I've I've ever used, and like many of the Russian lenses, Flectagons are actually one of those lenses that you, you they suffer a bit from sample variation, and uh, I'm not necessarily saying that the Practicar versions are better than the M42 versions. It's just that uh, so far, when the ones I've come across, the best one I've had so far is the Practicar version. Although interestingly, it doesn't have quite as good a minimum focus as um, as the M42 version. There's not much in it, but it's uh, it's not it's not quite as good. But I'm I'm happy enough with the lens because it's still got a good uh, minimum focus on there. Um, have we got any more? dual branded or triple or however many branded optical <laughs> things to talk about or should we move on to our next one i think we should move on to our next one um, okay so uh, we'll do the the final question for today um and that's going to be uh, a question that probably gets asked most and that's if you're new to adapting lenses what lens what lens should i buy um, so, uh, Johnny, do you want to start us off with that one? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess my take on that is, um, well, a couple things. It seems like uh, when people start adapting, they gravitate towards 
50 millimeter lenses um, somewhat regardless of the system they may be using. So that 50 millimeter lens, um, you know, if you're on APS-C or if you're on four thirds or if you're on full frame is all a different angle of view. So it's a, it, it, to me, it's a little bit, um, it, it becomes a little bit difficult question wise. Like I, I think you want to think about what, what uh, field of view you want to be, um, shooting at, right? Uh, because a 28 millimeter lens might make more sense for somebody on a smaller, you know, format, non full frame camera system. But regardless of all that, it seems like, you know, there people do gravitate towards uh, 50 millimeter lenses because there's a lot of them out there. Um, and I guess my feeling is that it depends where you are in the world because. Um, the Helios 44 is one that gets talked about a lot in the classic lenses group. Um, and it's a, it's a great lens. It, it's just much more common in certain parts of the world than it is in the U S for sure. Um, so I mean, my, you know, my vote for a 50 millimeter lens in the U S would probably be something like a, uh, um, uh, a, a, you know, Takamar of 55 1.8 or something like that, which is really, really common and really cheap. Whereas a Helios is not common and not necessarily cheap um you know i will be on ebay but you're not going to come across them in camera shops very often so um so i guess it depends on where where you are i think but um certainly the the helios 44 is a, a good one it's not my personal favorite but a lot of people really like it um that any of the tacomars are really great um so i think any of those make a really good starting point. Uh, and SLR lenses tend to be cheaper and easier, easier to adapt. And there's a lot of adapters out there. So how about you, Emil? Uh, as uh, Johnny mentioned, uh, it depends on uh, the system you are using and uh, where exactly you are living. Uh, I mean, uh, I bought a second copy of Filios 44.2 for 15 euros here in Greece, but uh, it's not an option if you are in the uh, USA. Uh, I think that uh, you can find uh, some uh, really uh, well-priced uh, 50 millimeter lenses. Uh, Minolta, for example, 50 millimeter f1.4 is, uh, in my view, the best uh, value for money 50 millimeter lens that fast. Uh, another example is the Rolleigh QBM mount uh, planner. It's a 50 millimeter f1.8 lens. Uh, it is exactly the same lens as uh, Color Ultron, but you can find it for uh, less money. And uh, it's a really, really sharp and uh, with uh, fantastic uh, bokeh lens. Uh, now, if you are using a micro four-third system, uh, I would uh, recommend uh, PenF uh, lenses. Uh, uh, either the 38 or the 40 millimeter lens, both are uh, really good and uh, can be found at a reasonable price uh, till now. Uh, another one that really works well on OMD bodies is the Jupiter 11 uh, LTM 39. Uh, 
I love that lens on the IMD. I really hate the uh, images it produces on my Sony. Uh, it's really strange. <laughs> um, no, favorite. I don't know. I have many lenses. Uh, it depends on the uh, mood, on the angle of view you want to have, on if it is a portrait you want to take or shoot some uh, landscape. Uh, uh, if Carl was here with us, I would uh, recommend the 15 millimeter uh, uh, Voigtlander lens. Yeah, I think that with with the with the Voigtlander and uh, and actually the the pen lenses, the, the the prices of those are going going away from say the 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 budget level, uh, which is we, we've sort of talking about uh, entry level ones, but um, yeah. other other lenses. Um, Putting aside what, what's already been said <clears throat> about fields of view and the system that you're using, um, some general general things to look out for is is go go for brands that you've you've you're aware of um, that are that cameras were produced for um, is and what I'm saying there is um, you may have heard of Konica. Um, and you certainly would have heard of Pentax or should have done, and uh, and and so on. Some some of the the less obvious brands, uh, because you you'll sometimes find that some of their lenses are are the equal of the uh, of the bigger brands, and sometimes better. Um, so Konica's are a, a good thing to look for, um, in, in in my view. I also like. Uh, I'm a big fan of Jupiter's, just like him on him on likes is, uh, is is Jupiter's. He's mentioned the the Jupiter 11 there, which is a 135 f4. Uh, Imon has the LTM 39 version of that lens, um, which up until recently uh, I didn't actually realise, but it, uh, it vignettes on full frame. Um, so, and I'd only previously used it on Micro Four Thirds, where I think it's a superb lens on Micro Four Thirds, even though it's um, 270 millimeter equivalent lens. Um, it's a it's a great lens to walk around with um, for picking out out details. But on on the Jupiter Eleven. Um, if you've got, if you're using full frame, then I would suggest you look at the M42 version. And also on the Jupiters is the Jupiter 8, which you can you can still pick those up at you know, pretty cheap prices. Um, and that's a and that is definitely and only an LTM 39 lens. So you, you're only going to be able to use that with mirrorless. Whereas the M42 uh, Jupiter 11 uh, just mentioned there that will you can put that onto a Canon at least um, although you won't be able to put it onto a Nikon not easily anyway um, so yeah there, there, are, there are a few lenses out there so but I would say look at look at some of the more obs obscure but main makes of lenses that uh, perhaps aren't around today um, I think uh, Imon's mention of the Minolta 50 50 millimeter 1.4 is a is a great call. Um, I think it's a it's a pretty much it's an undervalued lens. It's a great lens, um, and that's coming from me as not a particularly Minolta fan, uh, but I think it's uh, I, I think I agree with him. I it's probably the best value for money fast 50 millimeter lens out there. There is another yeah. one. Uh, oh, sorry, Johnny. <laughs> no, no. Very good. Uh, the 
that it's it's really cheap lens and uh, you can produce uh, some amazing uh, pictures it's the pentacon 50 uh, millimeter uh, 1.8 uh, yeah. it's it's almost a macro lens it, it has a great focus close focus ability and uh, whenever i mount it on my cameras uh, i really can't reproduce uh, the result with any other uh, 50 lens that i have 50 millimeter lens uh, either I will have to use a macro which is not uh, that fast or uh, a faster uh, probably 50 millimeter lens that uh, will not have this uh, close focus uh, ability and you can really find it for something about 30 40 euros yeah it's a it's a really cheap lens and it's it's actually a lens I've, I've bought and sold many of them and i've never i've never i've never used <laughs> i feel like it's just wrong really because I, I i keep seeing pictures that people put up and and i think wow there's there's a there's a really really great look about them um, and of course it's it's a mayor or maya uh optic lens um, the configuration of that, which which instantly makes it quirky as, as soon as you as soon as you mention the name, because that's just what they were like. Um, Johnny knows a fair bit about uh, about their lenses and how they uh, they tend to be a little bit oddball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, definitely. I mean, I, I guess the one that this probably wouldn't be a. Uh, a budget lens either but there's that that prima plan that everybody mm. is kind of gaga over although i i found a couple of them really cheap on just junker cameras um so i mean i guess they could be a budget lens if you come across one cheap you know uh but yeah they the odd designs just in general i i feel like uh <laughs> meyer optic i had this theory that they um they got cast off lens elements from all the other manufacturers and just kind of you know, smoke some weed and threw them all together to see how they could, <laughs> hey, this will work with this. Sure, why not? And it, it just the optical designs are bizarre. So, <laughs> but the images are definitely very interesting. <laughs> I'd say another, another budget way into uh, interesting looking lenses, as long as you're prepared to put a bit of work in and certainly you, having a combination of focusing helicoids of different shapes and sizes helps and that's projection lenses um, they don't have an aperture with them so you're always going to be shooting wide open but the the look you can get from a, a projection lens can be just just amazing and they can be found very very cheaply the only thing you've got to watch out for is to make sure that the lens is large enough to cover uh, the sensor of the camera that you're using because there are all sorts of uh, projection lenses out there that were, that were meant for 8mm film and, and all the way through to uh, medium format. So you just have to watch out for that. But that's a, that's a good tip for um, wild and wacky cheap lenses. Yeah. Simon, since you mentioned the, the projector lenses, uh, there are a few ones that I own and... Uh, uh, can give you really great uh, images. Uh, one of them is the late uh, Elmarate. Uh, it's the it's uh, 150 millimeter f 2.8. It uh, covers uh, the full frame sensor of my Sony A7 II, and. Uh, I really recommend this lens for someone who wants to take some uh, uh, portraits with uh, unique uh, rendering. Uh, 
Of course, uh, there are uh, many projector lenses that are simple triplet uh, lenses and uh, you can have a triplan effect uh, like the Duquesne or the Diaplan and you can find them uh, cheap uh, as long as you use an helicoid and uh, adapt it on your system you will have uh, some great results wide open always uh, with much uh, less uh, money yeah yeah that's i was going to actually mention the same lens i'm on the duquesne um i found a couple of these super cheap uh, locally here in Chicago, they're actually the Duquesnes are made in the Chicago area, and I there's a uh, place called um, American Science and Surplus in Chicago that has all sorts of just weird stuff, and I I picked up a couple of Duquesne projector lenses there like crazy cheap, um, and kind of hacked them into a you know a focusing helicoid, and they it looks almost exactly like my triaplan. I mean, almost exactly the rendering wide open is is so similar and it's because as you mentioned they're both triplets so um so yeah the that that can be a great one as long as you can find a way to to mount it it's just sometimes uh projector lenses can be challenging because there's physically you, you almost have to like clamp them into some sort of a helicoid or something you know to mount in front of the uh sensor um but def i say definitely worth the effort <laughs> that's a really good one all right. Well, I, was, I guess we're gonna as, as we're gonna wrap up uh, on that on that note with projector lenses. Um, but we certainly want to encourage uh, uh, more questions. We we love taking questions that either are submitted or that we just kind of make up ourselves. But we'd love to take questions that uh, podcast listeners are have for us. And um, please send those to. Um, classic lenses podcast at gmail.com and we will be very happy to cover them on up- upcoming programs thanks for that johnny and yeah i think we're at the end of the the podcast now so uh, i want to thank him on for being our guest with us and uh, you can actually go home after this you don't have to stay on the line um, <laughs> 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 took so, me three months to be here again <laughs> <laughs> So th- thank thank you very much for for being on, and uh, I'm glad it we given you my pleasure. So, <laughs> Thanks, Iman. Uh, I'm glad we've given you the opportunity to uh, to finish finish off the the conversation you you, you started several months ago. So uh, th- <laughs> th- thank you for that. So um, so we're going to wrap things up, Johnny. Oh, and I just want to say, uh, um, come back soon, Carl. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, uh, um, and I know you're going to be back next week. And actually, talking about next week, um, if all goes well, we're going to have Hamish Gill uh, on the show. Um, and uh, for those who don't know who Hamish Gill is, Hamish Gill is behind one of the largest uh, photographic blogs on on the internet. Uh, probably more focused towards film, but there is there is digital stuff on there as well. And it's a it's a great resource of finding out uh, about lots of different equipment and also people tend to uh, write in and do uh, many pieces about how they've found a new camera that they've used and uh, how, how their experiences have gone so it's it's always an entertaining read there so that's 35 yeah. mnc um, so that's hamish uh, will be with us next week along with uh, um, the return of carl um so uh, johnny how can people 
follow you uh, on Facebook and all the things and whatever? Yeah, um, on Facebook, it, of course, in the Photography with uh, Classic Lenses group, um, I uh, am also over, you know, spewing uh, Petri green omatic propaganda and serving green Kool-Aid in the, uh, the Petri green omatic group on Facebook. So look that up if you like for a laugh. Uh, you can also find me uh, on Instagram. I try to post there most days, although I'm trying to get kind of caught up again doing a bunch of film digitizing right now. Uh, but I'm on Instagram at, uh, at Sisson Photography. And you can find me in person at uh, Central Camera Company in Chicago most days. And Ebon? Well, on uh, Facebook, on our page, Photography with Classic Lenses, and uh, on uh, Instagram, uh, I blame Johnny for that. I created an Instagram <laughs> account. <laughs> uh, okay, instead of uh, spelling it, I will uh, send you a link and post it uh, when you upload the podcast. Okay. And uh, I'm in a few places. And in particular, actually, next Sunday, uh, that's Sunday the 20th of May, there is an event called Photographica uh, in London. That's the annual International Camera Collectors Ooh. and Users Fair uh, from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. And that's at the Royal Horticultural Society's Lindley Hall. And that's 80 Vincent Square, London, SW1P 2P. B. Um, nearest underground stations are Victoria and Pimlico. Um, I did that last year and I'm going to do it again uh, with Andy Cottrell. I shared a table with him last year and I'm going to do the same thing uh, with him this year. And so I'm going to be taking probably quite a fair bit of uh, some of the Russian big stuff that uh, I'd rather not really send in the post on eBay. So there's, uh, I'm going to take that MTO 1000 with me and a, and a few, uh, I think I've got two photo snipers at least and maybe a key f6c which is uh, vlad's favorite uh, camera ever um, yeah. even, though, even though it's left-handed so um, so yeah it'd be great if you can come down and, and say hello to me um, and andy will be with me as well and other other places i'm on facebook with the uh, photography of classic lenses facebook group as ever um, i'm also on instagram as simon forster photographic i'm on Flickr as uh, if you just search for simon forster i have my ebay shop if you do a seller search for it's fozzy that's i-t-s-f-o-f-o-z-z-y i have a website uh, which is uh, simon forster photographic.co.uk and as johnny mentioned earlier please send us uh, correspondence if you want uh, any questions answering out or you want to say something to us specifically uh, to the uh, classic lenses podcast at gmail.com uh, email address and uh, i hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast and it'd be great if you can join us again next week goodbye yeah i haven't i haven't uh, i haven't gotten my plane ticket yet for the photo fair simon i thought you were sending those out to all us admins yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought you were flying us over for the fair. <laughs> uh, I only I only booked my table today, so. Um, oh wow! Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so wow, there we that's, go. That's cool. I would boy, would I? I'd love to love to see that. It's a brilliant event. It is. Uh, it's yeah. It is probably the the best in the world. Um, yeah. Of it, of it of it of its type. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there are some great things that go on in Japan as well, but um, 
this is it's it's certainly the biggest in Britain. I mean, we do yeah, I do the Wolverhampton thing, you know, about five or six times a year, and that's that's pretty big. Uh, but this is probably about it's it's at least twice the size if not if not a bit, a bit bigger so wow uh, it's a it's a real big event awesome you've got it uh, johnny press you might just slip that in it's it's a point where you feel like it it, it fits i can slip it in anytime you want Simon. i'm sure you can <laughs> <laughs> I've got. I've done a little script for today. I didn't want to put it into the main uh, chat group because I didn't want Carl to see it. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 